Okay. Welcome everybody. Brukma Boim. Shamalaikam. We have an amazing shirt tonight. But before we begin, we have a very important announcement. Uh, next Wednesday night is Lag Boimer. So we have a special venue planned. The shirt is going to be two houses away from my house in the back. We're going to have a big Suda, bonfire, Achila, Shasia, Limudim, Eish, all kinds of good stuff. Holy Tyra, so please join us. Uh, sponsored by Rib Gordon Zisholtz in honor of the yard site of his father, which is Lag Boimer. Now, the Shurim on Sefer Vayikra is graciously sponsored by Dr. Zakheim, Lila Nishmas. Um Shloima Eliezer ben Harav Yaakov Zakaim and Leonishmas her mother Rivka Bastuvia Halevi Veganeden Tehemenu Chasam we thank her for her generosity in sponsoring the shirim tonight's shir is not sponsored yet if anybody would like to then uh, we would be very grateful some more other important announcements okay so uh, we're closing in on the new location for our new binyan um, many people think that the shirim, we take a, a computer and we just talk to the computer and that's all that's necessary to teach Taira. We actually need a makoim. We need a place. Um, you know, Kali so were in the Midbar for, four, for 40 years and they made 42 stops. We've made many stops over the last couple of years and we're awaiting al HaManucha al HaNachala. If you go to our site or if you're on our email list, you'll see the building dedication opportunities. You could put your family name on this binion. Now, it's only a million dollars, not a lot of money. Or if you want, you could have the name of the international recording studio name. So every show we could say, this year is being broadcast from the Ploini and Almoini studio. And then forever and ever and ever, your family will be associated with her. Now here's the good news. The good news is anyone who participates in a Chanukah Sabayis in building a shul, is guaranteed Tchiyas HaMesim. The Kovna Rav says that all the shuls where people don't talk by davening will eventually go to Eretz Yisrael. That's right. In a shul where some people talk, the shul doesn't go. Only in shuls that nobody talks. So there are not so many shuls like that. In our shul, Baruch Hashem, many gedolim have encouraged me to uh, build a makayim that is kahalacha, and anybody who's mishtatif with us, this binyan will go to Eretz Yisrael. The question is, but those who built it, they might be already, you know, underground. So that means they were guaranteed, says the covenant of Tchiyas HaMesim. So there are not many endeavors that you could participate in. Baruch Hashem, the shul uh, will disseminate a lot of Torah. We have a video, um, and uh, the shurim, uh, I know many of you are watching, go to uh, many different locations. So if anybody could help us out, especially to me personally, because I do not like this part of the job. This is very difficult for me. So anybody could help out, then we could just focus our efforts on uh, Talmud Torah. Thank you very much. Is that it? Any other announcements? I'm gonna, I have another one, but I'm going to save it for the middle of the, the shir. You know, some of these Dafyomi shirim now, I see they have like, you know, a whole, all kinds of email readings in the beginning. So we're, we're not up to that yet. But uh, we have another announcement that's going to be slipped into the shir seamlessly. You won't even know what hit, what hit you. Okay. Um, you ready, Israel? Oh, yeah. Okay, Israel's ready, so here we go. 
The Pasuk says in Parashas Emma, Nefesh asher tigavai, if a soul touches it, v'tama ar will be contaminated until the evening, impure until the evening. He will not eat from the holies, only if he washes his flesh in water. So somebody who becomes Tameh, he'll become Tameh until the evening. He will not be able to eat from Kadshim. What is the Kadshim that is it is referring to? The Gemara Nivama says the Kadshim that it's referring to is Meiser. And if he he can't eat from the Kadshim until he goes to the Mikvah. Says Rashi in Masech Tamakos, Daf he can't touch it until he washes. That means if he doesn't wash, he's Tameh. But if he washes, he's Tahar. Rashi said Tahar. And then Rashi went to the Eilam Ha'ever. That was Rashi's last word. He said pure. And then Rashi... Rashi's soul left his body. And Rashi, the holy guf of Rashi, was mess. And the Neshama of Rashi went up to Shamayim after Rashi expounded this passage in this week's parasha. The passage in Parashat Zemar, where it says, you can't eat from the Kachim until you wash. That implies that once you wash, then you're tar. Rashi said tar, and then he died. In fact, in Masech Damakas, Yotas we have a footnote from the Rivan, not to be confused with the Rivam. The Rivan was the son-in-law of Rashi. The Rivan... Tonight's learning is going to be with Eli Nishmas, Rebbe Ben, Harab Avram, Began Eden, Tehim, and Uchasai. The Rivan was Rev Yehuda Ben Rav Nassan. He was the son-in-law of Rashi. He was married to a woman by the name of Miriam. Rashi had, according to many, two daughters, some three daughters, Yochevet, Miriam, according to some, Rachel, and the Rivan, Rabbi Yudha Bar-Nasa, was married to Miriam, and Rashi died saying the word Tahar, and we have his comment here, Rabbeinu Gufay Tahar, Rashi's body was pure, Vyatsa Nishmasay Betara, his soul left in purity, Laipire Shiyoy, so he did not explain more, Mikan Ve'elach, from here on on, Lashain Talmido is the language of his student, Rabbi Yudha bar but not only was it the student of Rashi, it was also Rashi's son-in-law. Okay? Now, in Masech Nazir, if you look at a standard Gemara, you will, on the top of the page, it doesn't say Toysus Rashi. You know why? Because you don't need advertisement. We know who Rashi is. There's one Masech where it says Rashi. Nazir. Why? Because Rashi didn't write it. Okay? So, who wrote it? The Rivan. The Rivan wrote Rashi Masech Nazir. Now, this is very interesting. That means Rashi passed away explaining this Pasuk in Parshas Emar. And the Rivan took over. Now Rashi had two, had a daughter, Miriam, and he also had a daughter, Yocheved. Yocheved was married to Meir ben Shmuel. Now that couple, I don't know what they they did something right. Yocheved and Meir. Their first son was the Rashbam, who wrote, of course, on Baba Basra. Their second son was the Rivam, one of the most well-known ballet toysis. Their third son was Rabbeinu Tam, according to many, the greatest of all the Rishayim. And their fourth son was another ballet toysis, Shloimai the Grammarian. Okay, so that's why Rashi's family is called Base Rashi. Rashi established an entire, like, empire. 
Anyway, the Rivan took over Masech Damakos. Comes the Shiare Knesset Hagdoyle, Reb Chaim Benavisti. And he said, you know those guys, they don't like to learn Mayud Katan. There's a custom. Some people, they don't learn Mayud Katan because it talks about death and it's a bad omen. There's such a custom not to learn Mayud Katan. Well, the Shiare Knesset Hagdoyle says it's a bad one. You should learn Mayud Katan. Don't stop learning Mayud Katan. Don't stop learning Parak Misha Mesai. Just because it talks about death, but learn it a little bit quicker than other Masechtas. Then the Shi'ar Knesset continues. When I was in Kushta, Kushta is Constantinople. Where, what else is it called? Istanbul. I heard some people don't learn Erevin, Nida, and Yivamis. Now, it's not like you need an excuse not to learn those Masechtas, you know. But they came up with an excuse. Luckily, they, they came up with an excuse to learn, not to learn the three hardest Masechtas. You know, no one ever came up with an excuse not to learn Megillah, Ma, you know, Tainus, and... But they came up with an excuse not to learn Ervenida and Yoz because it spells Ani. And also, some people don't learn Baba Basra. Why? Because they say, Basra, it's the last. Like, this is going to be your end. By the way, it's also, yeah, like you need to... They, they also came up with an excuse not to learn 176 Blat Masechta. Very good. But says the Shirak has another reason why they don't learn Babasra, because Rashi became sick in Babasra. How do you know that? Because if you look in Cheskabat and look at number four, in the Defus Vilna, Davchov test, the middle of Sabatim, Rashi says, Aloma Rav Nachman the Kamish Vaidin, Adkan Piris Rashi, Mikan Ve'elach is the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson. So what happened to Rashi here? Uh, he must have become ill. So some people don't learn Babasra because Rashi became ill in Babasra. So some people don't learn. Okay, so some people don't learn Baba Vasa because Rashi became ill. So he says that's ridiculous. If you're not going to learn Baba Vasa because Rashi got ill, you shouldn't learn Makos because Rashi died in Makos. Rather, says the Shemar Knesset Doila, you got to learn all the Masechtas. It just means don't learn those Masechtas that publicly, but everyone has to learn it on their own. Is that assuming that Rashi only learned? The fact that he died or he became sick while learning that, that's like a bad omen. So some people have a custom to stay away from it. As we mentioned, Rashi is almost everybody's great-grandfather. 80% of Ashkenazic Jews come from Rashi. Um, And again, we know Rashi passed away in Makois. We know that he stopped writing in Middle of Basra. What happened to him? The Shari Knesset said he became ill. Now I'm going to show you something fascinating. Yeah. No, there's no chiddush. It's just Rashi was involved and engaged in the subject of purity. Tara. No, it doesn't say Tara in the Pasuk. It says you can't eat kachim unless you wash. That means you're tummy. Rashi says, but if you washed, you're tahar. When Rashi said the word tahar, he passed away. But when you wash the tahar, that's Don't. what the says. No, it doesn't. You can't eat till you wash. Yeah, but it doesn't say if you wash, you're tahar. The Torah doesn't say the word tahar. Rashi said the word tahar. And when Rashi said the word Tahar, that's when he expired. So according to our Messiah of Rashi, his last word was Tahar. What happened in Baba Basra? Why did he stop? The Knesset said he became ill. However, let me tell you a little history. We, we come to Shul, or we go to the store, you go to Z, Z Berman, and you want to learn Gemara, the people buy the Art Scroll Gemara. Avada, Moshe Rabbeinu, came down from Harsinai with an Art Scroll Gemara. Maybe Masifta also, 
in the Hebrew edition, the English edition. So the Chiddush of today is no, Moshe Rabbeinu did not come down from Harsinai holding an art scroll Gemara. What kind of Gemara did he have? You know, the first publication of Gemara was in the year 1484. Who published it? His name was Rabbi Yehoshua Shloimai Shonsino. Sinsino. Okay, now I know the red Sinsino that your father had that you used for your seventh grade tests, that's not the original Sinsino. You, you have Sinsino? I think, did you use Sinsino? When I learned Baba Kama in seventh grade, there was no such thing as art scroll, and like you had to sneak the Sinsino under the table. What are you going to get from it? Is it going to have like an old, ancient, archaic translation for the word Moirika um, Saffron? You know, that's all you're going to get. You know, and I remember they came out when I was learning Hamafke, they came out with the art scroll, and it was Shabuos night. I remember I think learned straight art scroll. It, it was just like the Gemara, it made, it made sense that I could understand. <laughs> Actually, the first Gemara, it's interesting. The first, who remembers the first art scroll? Marcus, Marcus. Very good. Who said that? <laughs> Where did that come? Baskal. <laughs> Baskal. <laughs> Machrezes <laughs> Vohimeres. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Marcus. Marcus was the first Masechta. I remember the first Masechta art scroll they had. Now they have, you know, the, the translation with a commentary. On the bottom they have notes. And then in a box on the bottom, they have insights, like lumdisha points. But they, they did away with that. It didn't... Uh... Anyway, the first printing of the Talmud was amazingly... You ready for this? You'll never forget it. It was in the year Gemara. Gimel, Mem, Reish, Aleph. Gimel, Mem, Reish, Aleph is 244. I, uh, I once gave you a trick. How do you translate a Hebrew date into an English date? You add 1240. Okay. So Gimel, Mem, Reish Aleph is the year 1484. So a man by the name of Joshua Solomon Sensino from the city of Sensino in Italy, he published the first Talmud Bavli in the year Gemara, and he made what we called Surah Sadaf. Surah Sadaf means he put Rashi on the inside and Toysus on the outside. That was a big chiddush. And there were different attempts. So some, some Gemaras had the Mordechai on it. Some Gemaras had other Rishayin. It wasn't like Pashat, Rashi, and Toysus. This was the invention of uh, Joshua Solomon Sinsino. And he did not complete the whole Shas. Now, amazingly, in the Shem Akdonim of the Chida, where he, lives, he gives an entry to every Gadol who ever lived from the beginning of time until his time, he has an entry for Joshua Solomon Sinsino because of what he did for Kal Yisrael. I mean, is there anyone who made a bigger contribution to Kal Yisrael than the person who printed Gemara? Now, he did not finish the Gemara. His nephew, Gershom Sinsino, printed more Masechtas in Fizaro. He did not finish the whole Shas. They only published 23 Masechtas. Not Nidorim, not Nazar, not Makis, not Horios, not Kodshim. The first edition of Shas that published all the Gemaras in Shas was in Venice, the Venetian edition in 1520. Who published it? Daniel Bomberg. was not Jewish. Okay? So that was the first edition of Shas. Anyway, I got a hold of the first edition of Shas, the Sensino edition. Now, first of all, um, much of the information that I got from the Sefer, but I did get a hold of the first edition of Shas. 
And in the first edition of Shah, I, I even copied it. You could go to Oitzah Chachma. They have, I put in Talmud Babli. They give you different editions. And I saw Simsino. I clicked on it. I went to the Avchav And instead of Ad Khan Pirish Rashi that we have in the Vilna Shas, it says Khan Mis Rashi. Rashi died here. Not the, now the, the Shari Kazakh Doyla says he probably had Argersa. That Ad Khan Rashi, Rashi stopped here. What happened? The Shari Kazakh Doyla said Rashi became sick. In the original edition of Shah said Rashi died. So it's a stira. Did he die in Makos or in Baba Basra? See, that's like a very unusual question. Like, it's a stira. Where did Rashi. You know, I found someone who asked the question. Where did, where did Rashi. You know who asked the question? The Chida. The Chida on the Shemakdam asks. No, the thing is, he doesn't ask it. He just answers it. Says the Hele Gechida. Look at number six. Rashi was learning two Masechtas when he died. <laughs> he's learning Baba Vasa and Masechta Makos. And then he was Nisbakesh, B'Yeshiva Shamala. And the simon is Vayikodesh Bum. He was sanctified Bum. Baba Basra Makos. Now, there was a great guy by the name of the Swedish, Yaakov Yichiel Weinberg. And he used to give the Psychashir and Yeshiva's Eitz Chaim in Mantara. And one year they're learning Baba Basra. And he began the shir as follows. He says, the academics, they have a big mach like this. Where is Rashi buried? Is he buried in Tua, in Troyes, or is he buried in Worms? And there's a big mach like this. Says Rav they don't know where Rashi's buried. You know where Rashi's buried? Open up Baba Basra. In Baba Basra, there are two gersois. Either Ad Khan Pirish Rashi or Khan Mes Rashi. You know where Rashi's buried? Not in Troyes, not in... Worms, he's buried in Baba Basra. That's where he lived and that's where he died. That's one version of the story. Another version of the story. Another version of the story is that Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg was giving the opening shiram Sakhta Baba Basra and Mantara, and he said there are two Gersais. There's the Gersa of Shas Vilna, Ad Khan Pirish Rashi, and there's the Gersa of the Sensino edition, where it says Khan Mis Rashi. And he says the Sensino edition is wrong. You can't say Rashi died here. Rashi never died. Rashi's alive. We learn him every day. You open up a Chumash. Rashi. By the way, anybody know this is an interesting fact. The first Jewish book ever published. The first Jewish book. Was it a Chumash, a Mishnah, a Gemara, Raziel HaMalach? The first Jewish was published in Rigo, in Italy, in the year 1475. Rashi, the first Jewish book ever, upon it, uh, ever published. So it says Rabbi Yaakov Rangur, the gear says, Ad Khan Rashi, but not here Rashi died, Rashi never died. Third version of the story. Third version of the story is, where's Moshe buried? You want to go on a trip? We'll go to Kivrei Tzadikim, we'll go, going on a trip, we're going to the cavern of Moshe Rabbeinu. Sounds like a Pesach program, you know? That never had one of those Pesach programs that don't happen, you know? We're going to the cavern of Moshe. Where's Moshe Rabbeinu buried? Nobody knows. You know why? Where's his Matseva? What's the Hespid? There's no Matseva. We don't need a Matseva. The greatest Hespid is God wrote in the Torah, for like, come be Yisrael, come Moshe. That's the greatest Matseva. 
And where's Rashi buried? Like Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't matter. Where is he buried? He's buried in Baba Vatsar. Rashi was so great, he doesn't, we don't need to look for his kever. Rashi lived in Baba Vatsar. Rashi passed away. So you wonder, but where is he buried? So that's where the next announcement comes in. If anybody wants to join us in the summer, they recently found a document that outlines the ancient cemetery in Troyes. Rashi is buried in Troyes. They made a Matseva for him. Is he there exactly? He's in the general vicinity. Where in France? Sarfas? Troyes. Or Troyes, yeah. Rashi was born there. He died there. And he learned in, uh, in uh, Worms. So on Rashi's yard site, for the very first time, we're going to go to Rashi's Kevah. Now you say, whatever happened, historically, did anything ever happen? All kinds of amazing things occurred at Rashi's Kevah. We're going to learn tonight some of them. So a few things about Rashi. A thousand years is a long time, you know? Do you remember what you ate for supper two and a half weeks ago? I don't remember what I had today. <laughs> so, you know, go to Harman, right? Go to Harman yeah, the family, the family In the whole country of Spain, there's not one kever. Why? Because they wiped everything out. France was uh, the heart of the Crusades. All the Bali, we don't have quorum for hundreds of Baliatoises. We have no idea where they're buried. They're all massacred uh, during the Zaman of Svira. Anyway, we, we learn Rashi on chess. You ever wonder, you learn a Toysa, especially in Kedusha, and Toysa says, Pirish, Bukuntris. And you look at Rashi, and Rashi doesn't say that. You ever see that? It's common. In Kedusha, it's... Or... Sometimes, Toysus and Kedushin says, Pirish Bukuntris, and he quotes the whole Rashi. And Toysus doesn't say a word. He just quotes Rashi. So you have to know, Rashi wrote three editions of Rashi on Shas. He wrote the first edition. He edited, he wrote a second edition. He edited again, he wrote a third edition. That's the edition we have. When we learn Rashi, it's the third edition. Toysus had the first edition. He didn't have the third edition. It's interesting. So sometimes Toys will quote a Rashi. We have a more updated Rashi even than Toysus had. Okay, so it's important to know. Rashi wrote three editions. And the Taz said, to said that Rashi wrote at least two editions on Chomesh as well. Because, for example, Rashi and Parshas Kisava, I forgot to put it on the sheet. Rashi and Parshas Kisava says on the word, Vashem he'emircha hayoyim. Rashi says, There's no precedent for what the word He'emircha means. And then Rashi says, Oh, I found the precedent. So what's he saying? I never found the precedent. So the said, in the first edition, Rashi didn't find a precedent. In the second edition, he found the precedent. Uh, should, okay, it should be on the sheet. Look in Rashi and Kisavai and the Divrei David on Rashi. Next, this is unbelievable. What, Rashi, what language did Rashi write his commentary in? Uh-huh. I mean, of course, he wrote it in I mean, in Hebrew. No, says Rama. No, the Rama says no. The Rama is dealing with the difference between Targumunklus and Rashi. And some say Targumunklus is better because it was given me Sinai. And then the Rama writes in Simon Kov Chavches that the truth is. Maybe Rashi wrote it in another language. What language would he have wrote it in? French. French. 
or German. And Klal Yisrael adopted it in Lashon HaKodesh. But Targum was given in Targum. And therefore Targum is better. I mean, that would be... You ever hear that before? You never heard that before. That's worth the price of admission. That the Ramah writes that Rashi was perhaps written in a different language. In the very next tshuva in the Ramah, in the Ramah somebody wrote him a letter. His name was Shmuel Yehuda Katzenelenbogen. You ever hear of him? The son of Maharam Padua. Maharam Padua was Rav Meir Katzenelenbogen. Rav Meir Katzenelenbogen Almost everyone alive today who's Ashkenazi traces back to Rav Meir Katzen-Ellenbogen. His son was named Shik. Shik stands for Shmuel Yehuda Katzen-Ellenbogen. He was uh, one of the G'dor Le'adur in the times of the Ramah. I was there to be at his kever. He's buried in Italy. He says, heaven forbid to say that Rashi was written in any other language other than Lashon HaKadosh. So what does Ramah mean? I think... So the Shmuel Yehuda Katzen gripped the Ramah that the Ramah was saying that maybe Rashi wrote in a different language. Maybe that's not what the Ramah means. Maybe what the Ramah means is did Rashi have to write his parish in Lashon HaKodesh? He, he did. But let's say he would have wrote in, it, wrote in a different language. Would it be any... Would it be... It would have been Rashi. It would have still been Rashi. He wrote it in Hebrew. But it's not inherent that those words have to be in Hebrew. It says somewhere it has to be in Hebrew. But Targum had to be in Targum. So therefore the particular language that Rashi was written, yes, it was in Hebrew, but, but did it have to be? Because uh, he wrote it in, unless he wrote it in Hebrew. He wrote, wrote it in French, and he didn't have to write Belaz, and then when they transferred it, but it's... Okay. The Rashi script is made up. There's no such thing as Rashi script. It's, it's completely fabricated. Rashi never wrote that script. He never saw that script. It's just a. It's an easy way to write Hebrew. There's no such thing. As, yeah. They call it Rashi script to make believe that that it has something to it. It's not. It's not. A, so we, we don't have any of his original writing. Right. Could be we do. We do. I, I personally don't. No, I think we do. Oh, we do no, he didn't write in that script. No, no of course not. No, of course. Oh, you mean the original Rashi? Yes. Oh, what the original Rashi. What we might. What year did he Rashi lived in the year in the eleventh century. In the year, I think he was born around ten forty-six. He was about fifty at the time of the Crusades in ten ninety-six. So Rashi lived about the year ten fifty to. 1120? Why would he not have? No, but I'm saying, why would he not? It was the universal language. If he writes it in French, people in Spain may not have been able to understand what he wrote. Sing. People in Italy or, or any place. You would think that it was obvious. You mean the Jews? Huh? Yeah. yeah, but you have to understand, back, in the, back then, there were no printing presses. So who exactly is reading? Who's, who's reading it? How many, people, how many people learned Rashi in the times of Rashi? You know, now we think Rashi wrote it so that everyone, there's no such thing, you know. This is very interesting. Um, my friend Abel Feldheimer gave me a tape many years ago from a Rav in Flatbush. I think it's in Rabbi Rappaport. And he quoted the Shemi Shmuel. Very interesting Shemi Shmuel. Why is Rashi always busy 
bringing in, oh, you know what this word means? In French, it means this. Well, what? what? First of all, Rashi was born in Troyes. He lived in Troyes, but he, but he spent his time in Germany. He learned in Germany. Why is he translating everything into French? What? Rashi thinks for all time Jews are going to speak French. And then, Balaz, Balaz, Balaz. Nobody, that's different. Nobody has any idea what that means. Why is Rashi so busy with French? So the Shem Shmuel says, what's the Indian of a language? A language brings out the heart, the soul of the people. Like, there's a statement, the the quill, the pen, is the tongue of the heart. If you want to know the character of a nation, you look at their language. The Chidush Arim says the French are renowned for their lewd and promiscuous behavior. Yadua umefursam. Ein lecha minoafim gedoylem mehat sarfasim. That's what they specialize in. Neof. And their language draws you to Arias. The language draws you to Arias. But you could overcome it. Torah brings everything back to Kedusha. So Rashi Davka translated everything into French to save French Jewry, to rescue the language that was pulling people away from the Torah and into Arias. Rashi translated Torah into French to save the French Jews. And that's what our scroll does. Our scroll saves American Jews. You know, I don't know if, you know, uh, English is is that much better. That's a very interesting idea of why Rashi translated everything into French. Now, what do we call Rashi? Kuntras. Why is it called Kuntras? What does Kuntras mean? So there's a, a very amazing sefer. The name of the sefer is Sefer Atishbi. It was written by a god of the name of Rabbi Yobachor. Rabbi Yobachor wrote a lexicon, a dictionary of Hebrew words. It's a very important dictionary. Rabbi Yaakov Emden wrote footnotes on it. Primagodim wrote footnotes on it. We had this chus to find his kever on an island off of Venice. We took a motorboat. We found this kever. is buried next to Rabbi Huda Aryeh of Modena. Anyone remember Rabbi Huda Aryeh of Modena? He wrote Yom Kippur Katan. Very interesting personality. The Sefer Atijri people don't know he couldn't make a living, so he had to hire himself out he lived in the house of a priest, and he taught a priest Hebrew, and that's how he supported himself. He quotes the priest in the Sefer. Why is it called Kuntras? Because Rashi wrote his commentary in notebooks. A notebook is called Kuntras because in Latin, la contras. Somebody who has five kids at a time is called? Quin. What does Quin mean? Five. Quintras. It was called the Kuntras because the way you make the notebook, it has five pages at a time. Two, two, and one in the middle. So that's why it's called Kuntras. Kvintras. Maybe, because really there's seven books we passed in. You know, Shiva. That's why it's called Kuntras. Now, there's an amazing tradition. There's somebody wrote a letter to Rabbi Yosef Masos that he heard that there's a tradition that Rashi fasted before he wrote his commentary. 613 fasts before he published Rashi al Torah. And Rabbi Yosem says, yes, in the old printings of the Tzor Hamar, the end of Bereshis, it says that a Makubo by the name of Nachman ben Shmuel went to Rashi's kever. So if you want to re-experience this, you come with us in the summer. And sparks of fire emanated from Rashi's kever. 
And then Abbaskol cried out, listen to the words of Rashi. And then Rashi said, Ani Shloimer bar Yitzchak. I fasted 613 fasts besides Shabbos and Yom Tif. And I brought my commentary in HaKoyach Says the Chido, why did Rashi have to fast so many fasts? Says the Chido, I found in the writings of the Ramah Mipano that every word of Rashi Beside its, besides its simple meaning, also has Kabbalistic meaning. Imagine? So here you have the whole, all the Pirushim. You have 11 Pirushim on Rashi. Right? You ever see the 11 Pirushim on Rashi? They're just telling you the simple Pshat in Rashi. But you could write another 11 Pirushim of the Kabbalistic Pirushim in the words of Rashi. And fire emanated from Rashi's uh, Kever. So maybe if we go, we'll be Zoycha to, I don't know, big revelations. And that's why Rashi fasted. Another story. This was found in the writings of Reb Chaim Vital. In the holy writings of Reb Chaim Vital, he said that Rashi, after his death, came to his daughter, Yoicheved's son, Shmuel. Who's that? The Rashbam. And Rashi said, Rashbam, I taught you everything, but there's one thing I didn't teach you. I didn't teach you a certain shame of God. Listen up. Understand what I'm telling you? Because I'm not going to repeat it and I can't come back down to this world again. So get it now. And Rashi taught it to him and then Rashi disappeared. So the Chidah asked, why didn't Rashi teach it to him while he was alive? He told me, says, you see the great sanctity of Rashi. Rashi knew he didn't have permission to teach it to him. So he had to ask upstairs and once he got permission, he came back down and he taught the Rashbam. Now this is a very interesting principle. Comes the Radvaz in a Tshuvas and in Koftas that we have a great klal, that Rashi is a mefaresh, and he's not a poisek, and therefore rely on the poiskim and don't rely on Rashi lahalacha. Meaning the Rambam was a poisek, the Rif was a poisek, the Rush was a poisek, Rashi was a commentator. So you rely on the Rambam, the Rif and the Rush, more than Rashi. Moreover, look at this, look at number 20, the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef says, what do you do if you have a machloikas, the Rosh and the Rambam, one against one? Everybody knows that the principle of the Beis Yosef in the Shulchan Aruch is he took the Rif, the Rosh, and the Rambam, and he took two out of three. That's why Sfar didn't follow the Shulchan Aruch, because the Shulchan Aruch did not u- utilize the Baleatosis. He only utilized the Rif, the Rosh, and the Rambam. The Rif and the Rambam were Sfardim. The Rosh was Ashkenazi, so Shulchan Aruch is always going to go like the Sfardim. The Ramah also put into the equation all the Baleatosis or Ashkenazim. What do you do if you have the Rush against the Rambam? But Rashi goes like the Rush. So I know Rashi is not like the Rambam and the Rif, but could Rashi tilt the scales in the favor of the Rush? No. Rashi doesn't add any weight. Why, says Beisayasi? Because Rashi was a Mefaresh. Rashi was not a Paskan. And therefore, the Rambam against the Rosh will go with the Rambam because in this case, it's more Mestabra like the Rambam. You look at number 26, Shal Halachas Ketanois. What? The way Rashi will explain a Gemara, it will come out that the Halacha will be X, Y, and Z, not like the Rambam. No. Rashi is just explaining the Gemara, but we're not going to paskin like Rashi's explanation in the Gemara. We'll pass like the Rambam and the, and the Rush or the Rif. But there were two. There were two Rashi. There were two. 
Chuvas. Oh. Written by Rashi. We're going to get to that. But the, the, again, the principle is Rashi was a mafarish, Rashi wasn't a paisek, and therefore if it's machlech between how the Rambam comes out or how it would come out according to Rashi, you're going to go like the Rambam and not like Rashi. Come Shas Shuvas Halachas Katanis in number 26. And he says, and I put the wrong shuva on the sheet, but if you want an updated sheet, I have some updated sheets. He says, this klal of the Beis Yosef is wrong. Where do you think Rashi got his commentary from? Rashi made it up? We know Rashi got it from his Rebbe. Who is his Rebbe? Turabeim. Rebbe Lazar the Rebar Yakar. And they got it from Rabbeinu Gershon. You think Rabbeinu Gershon would have explained the Gemara not like the Halacha? So if Rashi says Pshat, that means Rashi feels that according to this Pshat, the Halacha would be X, Y, and Z. And you sh- Rashi knew how the Halacha would come out according to this Pshat. And if Rashi thought that a certain Halacha come out that's not correct, then how could he have given the, the, this commentary? So you're allowed to paskin like Rashi. So very interesting machlek is the Beis Yosef against Halachas Katanas. The Beis Yosef says Rashi was a mafarish, not a paisek. We'll go like the Rambam over Rashi. Halachas Katanas says, of course, if Rashi said the Pshah and the Gemara and it comes out this halacha, he knew you would learn the Gemara this way and come out with this halacha, so then you need to pass it that way. Hamzachida, the Radvaz and the Beis Yosef is right. The Chida writes this in number 21. I... Isn't it like disparaging to Rashi to say, oh, he's only a commentary, commentator. He's not a halachic authority. Isn't that, isn't that derogatory in a sense to Rashi? The Chida asks, how can we even say such a thing? How could the Beis Yosef say such a thing? So says the Chida, we have to explain what the Radvaz and the Beis Yosef mean. He, they mean, in the second paragraph of the Chida 21, Rashi atzmai iker kavanasai lefaresh it's not that Rashi wasn't great in any sense and Rashi is not a poisik. He didn't intend to write the halachic conclusion. His intention was to explain the Gemara but not to give the official halachic conclusion. And since our Kabbalah is Rashi himself wasn't mechavein l'halacha, so the Radvaz and the Beis Yosef are right, not like the halachas katanais. Says the Chidol, let me give you the following example, and this is a very important yisait. Rav Asi said to Rav Yochanan, it's the Gemara Baba Basra. Rav Yochanan, you said the halacha, should we follow it? Rav Yochanan said, no, I didn't tell you to follow it. I never told you to follow it. Don't follow until you until I say it's halacha ulamaisa. Just because I teach you halacha doesn't mean it's lamaisa. What does that mean? You know, there's Gemara and Harius. I said this many times. The Gemara and Harius says, "Yeah, don't. Let, you, you cannot follow any something you hear in a shear. You cannot. Uh, yeah. oh, I heard once heard in a shear, so I do that. No, no, nobody, nobody told you to do that. We're learning now. We're learning the principles. You want to know what to do? Somebody, okay. So if you hear something in a shear, you cannot rely on it. What if?" You ask a rabbi, what's the halacha in this case? And he tells you the halacha, and you follow it, and the rabbi was wrong. You're amazed. You ask the rabbi halacha. Well, now the rabbi is going to spend 90 hours to get the exact answer. It's If you ask a shayla, if you ask a shayla, I was wondering what the halacha is. So the rabbi said what he thought the halacha is. 
Okay, so I was, I'm just, wa- I'm just curious. Okay, so I'm just giving you an answer. That's why you know these svarim, they they were walking this gadol down the road, and they and they asked him, uh, what bracha do you make on uh, I don't know. And the, basically, the rabbi said, "Go jump in the lake." You know, I gotta get out of here. So he he just said an answer. You can't rely on it. You know, I was once waiting online, and I overheard somebody ask the rabbi. Just ignore, ignore what you heard. Unless you say, "Rav, this shaila is relevant to me right now. What should I do?" You can't rely on it. Lalacha. It's a gemara. The gemara says, "Rav Asi asked You said the halacha. Should I follow it? He said, "No. <laughs> I'll let you know when you should follow it." He said, Halacha ulamaisa. No, it's Halacha veloy lamaisa. So says the Chidah, that's the difference between the Rif and the Ramam and Rashi. Of course Rashi knew that if you're going to learn the Gemara his way, it would come out that this is what the Halacha conclusion was. But Rashi's intention was not to give a Halacha conclusion. His intention was to explain the Sugya in the best possible way. Now, if you want to know halacha lamaisa, you got to call up Rashi and ask him what's the halacha lamaisa. Rashi never intended to do that. The same way Rabbi Yochanan, in other words, the Chidah says, you can hold Rashi to a higher standard than Ravasi held Rabbi Yochanan. Ravasi asked Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi, can I, you said it halacha, is it lamaisa? Rabbi Yochanan says, not lamaisa. So Rashi, of course, his intention was to explain the sugya. And the way he explains it, he is the halacha that Rashi thought, to the best of his ability in explaining Gemara, what the halacha should be. But he's not trying to, okay, get to the next level and establish permanently what the halacha is. Says Echida, but we do have, who said, there are chubas of Rashi. There's a Sefer HaPardes, where Rashi wrote halacha. So then the Rashi is just like the Rambam and the Rif. But Rashi usually doesn't do that. But where he does, then... Uh, then you could follow it. Can you give us an example of what Rashi and we don't follow it, but he says, but it's not halacha? Um, in number 20. I don't have the exact details of the case in Hilchot Sitzis, but there is a... I could give you an example of a halacha that we do follow Rashi okay. against almost all the Rishayim. And as Ramosha gives an example regarding eating in shul. Right? Are you allowed to eat in a shul? I like eat in a shul. You come to the shul, I don't know, you're you're learning after that, I want to eat. Are you allowed to eat in the shul? So According to most Rishonim, you can't. Machlekes, according to the Ramban, you can't. According to Toysis, you can't. According to most Rishonim, the Shtetnai only helps the Chorbana, not the Binyanai. The Gemara in the fourth parak of Megillah, there's a Toysis, there's a Ramban, and there's Rashi. And Rashi is the most lenient. And even though we said, so Moshe has a tshuva, that... This is very interesting. The minog in Kla Yisrael is that you can. I, the questioner asked, asked Moshe, what's the proof? So Moshe says, because people eat in shul. When do people eat in shul? When they make a tikkun for a yard site. So the questioner said, what do you mean? That's not a riot, it's a sudas mitzvah. 
Reb Moshe, there is no mitzvah, inyan, or anything whatsoever to eat cake in honor of someone who died. Someone who died gets no benefit that you're ingesting sugar and white flour and other things that impair your ability to think and operate for the rest of the day. Well, how, what's, what mitzvah are you doing for the person who's dead? He doesn't even know you're eating marble cake. What he wants you to eat, oily fish, alcohol, and cake. What are you doing for Oh, the bracha. Since when does a guy who makes a bracha on herring, how does it bring somebody's elevation in the world to come? Are you kidding me? You're eating herring, and the guy is going higher in the world to come? How does that work, says Amosha? Says Amosha, there's no Indian of a tikkun. A tikkun is like eating bazooka gum in the shul. It's, there's no difference at all. So why do people do it? Because we go like Rashi. Ramosh says a big side. When you have a shita of a rishain that Kalal Yisrael follow, that could establish a halacha even against Roy Rishainim. I see people walked away. They don't like what I said. That's a big machloik. It's between the Hasidim and Ramosh. There's a big line. The Hasidim say there's an Indian. There. Who? Tell me the name of the nifter. Well, like you're telling, you're sending him a telegraph by making a bracha on the on the shmaltz herring. Oh, his name. Okay, the bracha on the shmaltz herring is going to that guy. Ramesh, come on. I heard it was after they made it. It was really they made a seal. Oh. Then they gave after the seal, and they just knocked out. Yeah, yeah. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says, where does it come from? In Shulchan Aruch, you're supposed to fast on the day of the yard site. So then people couldn't do it. So they make a seal, and this way they didn't have to fast. And then people stopped making seal and they just ate. <laughs> that's what Yaakov Kamnetsky says. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right, right? You know? <laughs> so anyway, I thought I got in trouble last week with Aristotle, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm better off telling stories about Aristotle than starting up with Tikkun. But that, that's a true Ramesha. Anyway, um, that's a very interesting Yisoyed that uh, the Radvaz and the Beis Yosef says Rashi was a Mefarish, and the Halachas Katana says, no, Rashi, yes, he was a Mefarish, but he's obviously explaining it, la Halacha, and the Chidah says, yes, Halacha v'le I'll give you an analogy. Rashi famously says in Bereshis, his famous modus operandi is, va'ani lo'ibasi ela What's Rashi's job in Chumash? To tell you the simple interpretation of the Pesukim. I would venture to say there's an element of that in Gemara also. Rashi is explaining the Gemara not in the way that it would come out, the most authoritative halacha. Rashi is trying to explain the Gemara in the most straightforward manner. In B'derech HaPshat. B'derech right? What it's, what it's saying. Now, the Rambam is trying to tell you the halacha. One story. Because Azriel said, do you have a good story about Rabbi Lezer HaGadol and Rabbi Yaakov Bar Yakar, the Rabbeim of Rashi. Yeah, I do. I asked That's next week. <laughs> so Rashi had two Rabbeim. Rabbi Yaakov Bar Yakar, who was of a gentle personality, and Rabbi Lezer HaGadol, who was a very powerful individual. And they, they shechted a behemoth, they owned it Peshutfis, and they found some kind of mum. Now, Rabbi Lazar Gogol had a tradition from his Rabbeim that the animal wasn't kosher. Rabbi Yaakov Aryaka had a tradition from Rabbeinu Gershon, it was kosher. So Rabbi Lazar Gogol took his half and he threw it in the garbage. Rabbi Yaakov Aryaka took his half and he brought it home. His wife says, No, what, what, what is this? It's meat. What happened to the other half? The other rabbi has it. What did he do with it? He threw it in the garbage. Why are we eating it? My Messiah is it's good. 
fine. So she's about to put it on the grill. And then Rabbi Yaakov Ayaka says, I'm going to eat an animal that the other half of it is in the garbage. He didn't eat the animal. Anyway, the commentary of Rashi. Rashi was the greatest of all the Mepharshim. Yatsasa Nishmasai Bitahar. Rashi left this world in purity. You have to think, without Rashi, you couldn't read a Pasuk in Chumash. Without Rashi, you could not open up a Gemara. The Gemara would be inexplicable. You want to know what the question is, what the answer is, what the Gemara is trying to say, what it means to say. It would be a Sefer Chasam Basasam. Rav Miller would always say, when you learn Gemara, you need to stop for a moment and feel Hakaras Hatoiv to Rashi. So that's what we say. Rashi had a degree of Ruach HaKodesh when he wrote that his commentaries uh, and you know what's interesting is the first comments of Rashi what's the first comment? Rashi says let me tell you why Eretz Yisrael belongs to Klal Yisrael. Like you know right off the bat Rashi addresses the, the most important and most contested issue of all time. You know who does Eretz Yisrael belong to? But uh, Milan Ugadol we know that the Baliatosis were killed out during this time of the year. According to the Taz, uh, part of the Avelos of Svira is because of the death of the Baliatosis during this man of Svira. That's why we say Avarachamim during this man, even if it's Rosh, even if it's uh, uh, Nisan, or even if it's the day that you don't say Tachnon, because Avarachamim was specifically composed for the Baliatosis who were killed in the times of the Crusades, the Chusam Yagen Alenava Alkhan Yisrael.